It's Wednesday, April 24th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, several months ago, our staff met together to pray and to contemplate just the attacks that we felt uh, were coming up against our staff individually, uh, staff families, uh, staff members who had miscarriages, staff members who... Uh, whose children were struggling, staff members who had struggled with loss uh, of a loved one or the health of a loved one, wrecked so many different attacks that we felt they were coming over our staff. And so we wanted to share this morning on the Defender podcast just some of the, the same things that we shared with our staff two months ago and let you know that we are also praying these things over our adopted families. These are these are things that, that we are praying through and thinking through our adopted families. And we know that there are many families feel called to adoption, and then they feel the attacks start to come. And, and many times those attacks aren't just with their process. It's not just with the child that they are seeking. It could be other attacks within their family. So first, I want us to just look at a biblical way of thinking about suffering and about hardships that comes our way. I want us to think biblically about that. And then I want to lead us in a time that we can pray over families that are going through the adoption process, both an international adoption process as well as a domestic adoption process, and just to, to pray. So first, looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, this is what Peter says to the church. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, oh, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Oh, our culture is becoming so much more toxic and anti-Christian. We are living in a post-Christian nation, much in the same way that Peter was writing to a church in a post-Christian time. His words are convicting and encouraging and show us five quick lessons to help us think biblically towards suffering. Number one, don't be shocked. Verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. We cannot be shocked, beloved, when when, when trial, when tribulation, and when suffering comes towards us. Do not be shocked as though you were surprised. If our Savior and Lord experience suffering and trial, and we are sacrificing ourselves, denying our cross, taking up our cross daily, denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily, and following Him, we cannot be surprised. We cannot be shocked when we join in the battle that we are suffering, that we are persecuted. But number two, the second lesson we see from Christian suffering is rejoice, right? Have 
joy. So don't be surprised. But then verse 13 says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We have great joy that we are able to share in the suffering of Christ. Why? Because we know that that suffering will bring in us perseverance and steadfastness and that we will be able to see the glory of God revealed. So we're not shocked. We rejoice. But number three, suffering as a Christian is a result of our pursuit of Christ, not our disobedience in sin. Uh, we, we aren't suffering because we've been disobedient or sinful, we're suffering as a result of our pursuit in Christ. And, and, and real quickly, don't allow ours to think that the punishment of sin is the same as Christian suffering. We, we, we will be punished for sin. We will have hardship because of our sin. We will have hardship because of our disobedience. But the suffering that Peter is talking about here is suffering as a Christian as a result of your pursuit of Christ. That's why in verse 15 he says, don't suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler, but suffer as a Christian, as one that's pursuing Christ. And let him not be ashamed, but glorify God in that name. Oh, suffering as a Christian is a result of a pursuit of Christ. So don't be shocked, rejoice. Suffering as a Christian is a result of a pursuit of Christ. And number four, never stop speaking of Jesus. Never stop speaking of Jesus. You see, judgment will be for all people, and we'll start with God's people, but we need to be spreading the gospel with fervor as we see that day of Christ's triumphant return approaching. In verse 17, for if, if judgment is to begin in the household of God, it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel of God? Verse 17, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our tribulation, we cannot stop speaking of the gospel of Christ Jesus. There are those today that are perishing apart from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are those that are, are, are experiencing discipline, are experiencing hardship because of their disobedience and their sin. We never, ever, ever stop speaking of Jesus, even in the midst of our persecution. And then last, but certainly not least, the fifth quick lesson we learned from this passage, we need to trust God Forge ahead and never turn back. That's why verse 19 says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator huh, while doing good. We trust God, we forge ahead, and we don't turn back while we entrust our souls, while we are still doing good, while we are making the Lord's favor known. You see, as Christians in the West, the idea of being persecuted for our faith, especially the point of death, is foreign. Even for, for believers in the first century, it was hard to face the reality that identifying yourself with Jesus Christ might cost you everything. Yet in the face of those fears and hesitation, Peter reminds his readers that persecution for following Jesus was not only something that was predicted and should be expected, but also something that could bring great gain. The picture we see of Jesus through the Gospels shows us that he is something and someone worth losing everything for. When we truly know him, then risking everything we are and everything we have to know and obey Christ is no longer a matter of sacrifice. It's just common sense. To let go of the pursuits, possessions, pleasures, safety, and security of this world in order to follow Jesus wherever he leads, no matter what it costs, is not sacrificial as much as it is smart. Because we realize that all of life, the only thing we can never lose is Christ and his presence through salvation. 
Jim Elliott aptly said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Paul says to the church in Philippi in Philippians 1, 20-21, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, rather by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you had asked Paul to tell you, what the ultimately ultimate aim of life is, he would have said, honoring Christ, magnifying Christ, and making much of Christ. That was the meaning of Paul's life and ultimate death, and we should live and we die to make much of Christ. Safety is not what we were created for. It makes a nice retreat, but a meaningless life. We were not created for vacation. We were not created for slumber. We were not created for comfort. God created us for something so much more. Risk avoidance may be more sinful, more unloving than taking the risk of faith and love and making a wrong decision. Doing nothing needs forgiveness as much as doing the best you can and erring. Queen Esther, upon taking the challenge for Mordecai to go before the king in hopes of rescuing her people, says, well, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go before the king, though it is against the law. And this is what Queen Esther says in Esther 4, 15 through 16. And if I perish, I perish. <laughs> if I perish, I perish. Esther did not know what the outcome would be. She had no special revelation from God. She made her decision and she handed her the results over to the Lord. If I perish, I perish. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed great courage in the face of intense death and persecution. They say, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Oh, but if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set. Oh, beloved, this was sheer risk. They looked in the face of persecution and said, We believe our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not serve idols. We will not serve foreign gods. We will not serve anyone but Yahweh, the true God of heaven. They did not know how it would turn out. For all they knew, they were going to be barbecue. Yet they were willing to risk it all for Yahweh. Acts 21 verses 12 through 14 says that as Paul was getting ready to head to Jerusalem to preach the gospel, this is what it says. It says, when the believers heard this, they begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And he responded, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Huh. And then Acts 21 13, Paul truly believed that this trip to Jerusalem was necessary for the cause of Christ. He didn't know the details of what would happen there or what the outcome would be. Paul's whole life was one stressful risk, staring down, suffering after another. He said in Acts 20:23, 20, The Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. Paul had decided to risk his life in Jerusalem with the full knowledge of what it might be like. What he had already endured left him no doubt about what might happen to him in Jerusalem. 
He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with the rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And this is the same Paul that says in Philippians 1, 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, beloved, it is the will of God that we will be uncertain about how our lives on earth will turn out for us. And therefore, it is the will of God that we take risk for the sake of our Lord Jesus. John Piper says of Christian suffering and boldness in the face of such suffering in this book, don't waste your life. He says this, it is simple trust in Christ that in him, God will do everything necessary so that we can enjoy making much of him forever. Every good poised to bless us and every evil arrayed against us will in the end help us boast only in the cross, magnify Christ and glorify our creator. Faith in these promises frees us to risk and to find in our own experience that it is better to lose our life than to waste it. Huh. Beloved, you may be suffering today, and your suffering may be the cause of your obedience to go through an adoption process. Your suffering today may be the suffering of waiting over when will that call ever happen, over a referral coming your way. Your, your suffering today may be waiting for when will our dossier ever be approved in that country of origin for our child. Your suffering today may be in the waiting of going, when will we ever have travel approval? Your suffering today may be sickness, maybe maybe frustration, maybe tiredness, maybe anxiety. Oh, but beloved, know this, that we must surrender ourselves to the work of Christ. We must stay firm to Christ in the midst of suffering. We must understand that we don't know what today holds, and that's why we can risk everything. And, and in, in conclusion of, of looking at suffering through a biblical lens, I want to give us five positive outcomes of our suffering. Number one, as you suffer today, as you go through this suffering, I want you to know first, it will deepen our walk with the Lord. Huh, it will deepen our walk with the Lord. You see, we place our attention in seeking on God. When we're going through suffering, we more intimately seek God. Unfortunately, it's at the moments of greatest crisis that we cry out to God all the more loudly. And so sometimes the Lord tests our resolves. You see, when we're going through the fiery trials, we, we, we rely more flesh more more freshly on the Lord. One positive outcome on suffering is we'll deepen our walk with the Lord, but the second positive outcome on our suffering is that we are being made more like Christ and more closely aligned with his purposes. Huh. Tim Keller tells a story about a boss at, at ABC, the news anchor, and he led this new co-worker to faith because he was willing to take the fall for her error. She had pressed him on why he would do that and threatened himself. She had made an error, and he took the fall in order to have the opportunity to be able to share Christ with her. And when he asked her, why would you do that? When she asked him why he would do this, he said this. He says, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Huh. You see, when we go through suffering, we are made to be more like Christ and more closely aligned with his purposes. 
But third, the third positive outcome of our suffering is the favor and the Spirit of God will rest upon us. God strengthens you and allows His presence to illuminate in your life, using you to display His glory to all people. God rests His favor upon you when you're going through suffering. It's in times of suffering when we have the greatest joy in God and when others see that joy when it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for Christians to leave a Christian funeral and to have joy. It doesn't make sense for Christians to praise God in the midst of intense suffering. It doesn't make sense that Christians are adopting children around the world that are coming from hard places and bringing suffering into their home. What makes sense is that we have the joy of the Lord and the favor and the Spirit of God will rest upon us and His glory will be shown to all people. But the fourth lesson we see, the fourth positive outcome we see from suffering is that persecution is evidence of God's almighty grace. When we are persecuted for the sake of the name of Christ, it shows our identity with Him. It shows that we are truly a child of God. When we become a threat to the kingdom of darkness, we can expect a battle to rage. It's not because of our stellar lives, but as Christ commands us to say in Luke 17:10, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We've only done what is our duty. Persecution is evidence of God's almighty grace. Why? Because it shows that we're effective to the kingdom of God. We are not a threat to the adversary, the devil, if we are living a comfortable life. But when we buckle in, when we strap up, when we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Christ, we are seen as an adversary to the devil and he will attack. But the fifth positive outcome of our suffering is that comfort will come with, by the mighty, strong presence of God Almighty. We entrust our souls to him just like we entrust our check to the bank. He will envelop us with his presence. That's why I love what Romans 8 says in verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? What shall bring any, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why Peter says again in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-11, through 11, Humble yourselves, beloved, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, listen to this, beloved, restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So I want to take this opportunity now to pray over our adopted families, our foster families, those families who are in the process. And so starting off our prayer, 
Start in the same way that Nehemiah did in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Let's pray. O Lord God in heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servants that we now pray before you night and day for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcast are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. So, O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer here of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servants today and grant your servants mercy in the sight of our God. Lord, we pray for families, families who become restless in the midst of waiting on a referral or a match, patience to trust the Lord's absolute perfect timing and to truly see your sovereignty in each detail. Lord, we pray for them as they wait and this waiting can be hard. We pray for these families not to, to be overcome by this hardness. And Lord, even in the midst of the unknown time frames, we pray that families truly trust you and that you are in control even when they are not. Lord, we pray for extended family members to understand and fully grasp the concept of adoption and to respect the decision of parents during this entire process. We pray that all extended family members choose to see that the adopted child is truly a part of their family. We pray against discrimination within the extended family, within the community, and within the local church. And Father, we pray for pastors and church leaders during the adoption process of their church members to understand and support the decisions about the amount of participation in church-related activities once coming home. We pray that these pastors and church leaders would see the importance of wrapping around these families that are fostering, these families that are bringing children home from tough places in these adoptive families. We pray for families as they attempt to fundraise and attempt to make fee deadlines, sometimes in short amount of time. Lord, we know that this can be overwhelming and stressful during the adoption process. Lord, we know that sometimes families are working through personal debt or, or simultaneously fundraising for their salary as, as a missionary or, or as part of a Christian organization. Father, we pray that you would provide for them. Lord, in Psalm 50, it says you provide a cattle and a thousand hills. Lord, it says in Psalm 50 that no one can dare give you anything because you own it all. And so, Lord, we pray that you would richly supply the needs of these families going through the adoption process. Lord, we pray for central authorities. We pray as they make frequent changes and procedures. And we know that affects every child's process, and every family's process. We pray for compassionate hearts of the families towards the central authorities in these, these countries of origin, even when they make decisions that cause delays or don't make sense. Lord, we pray for families as they are presented with a referral that doesn't necessarily meet all their expectations. We pray for them as they cope with potentially guilt or shame for waiting so long or feeling disappointed. 
Lord, we pray for families to truly see that they have an opportunity to consider a child that even though they may have said no to, they can value the opportunity to intercede with you for that child. That even when they feel that a referral is a no for their family, that they have an opportunity to still lift that child up to your throne and intercede to your throne of grace that a family would come forward and that this child would know the love of Christ. Lord, we pray for families in the home study process that they may be challenged out of their comfort zone to confront unhealthy parts of their marriage, possibly even to put themselves on hold to attend counseling or deal with marital issues or unhealthy habits. Lord, we pray that the adversary would not take root in their marriage and would not have a stronghold in the marriages that are pursuing adoption. Lord, we pray for men who are wrecking their lives with pornography that they would turn off their computers, that they would smash their smartphones if that's what it takes to live lives of purity. Do not allow pornography to steal joy from marriages and joy from men who need to lead men who will be coming into their homes through adoption or who need to lead precious princesses who will be coming into their home through adoption. Lord, we pray for families in the post-adoptive phase dealing with grief and unmet expectations, inappropriate behaviors from children, exhaustion, lack of community support, and an array of issues that come with children who come from trauma, hard places, and institutionalization. Lord, show these families your great love. Wrap around them with your great grace and show them that you are sovereign even in these difficult moments. God, we pray for our domestic families today, for peace and perseverance as they wait. Lord, we have some families who've waited as long as two and three years, and we just pray that you give them perseverance, that you would give them hope. Lord, we pray for healthy post-placement relationships with birth parents. Lord, that these families would continue to love on their birth mothers, that continue to pray for them, that they would continue to seek uh, your throne on behalf of these birth parents. These birth parents would come to know the grace and the goodness and the almighty sufficiency of God the Father. Lord, we pray for adoptive parents to love unconditionally and sometimes even hard to love expectant mothers. Lord, we pray that they love unconditionally when the birth mother who's chosen them chooses to parent at the midnight hour. Would you give them grace? Would you give them love? And would you give them boldness to be able to still love this woman who's crushed their heart? Father, we pray that you give adoptive parents courage to wade through the hard things, the home study process that brings up past hurts of infertility. Lord, would you please just ask, We just ask today that you would give them redemption in the the hard places of their past and and in the places where there's hurt, where where people in their community have have unwittingly hurt them, where where they're hurt by by the, the, the families that seem to get pregnant so easy when they struggle so hard. God, would you give them grace? Lord, don't allow Satan to get a foothold and steal and kill their joy that can be found in you. Lord, we pray. For these families. And Lord, we close our prayer much in the way Jehoshaphat said in Second Chronicles 20, verses 6 through 20. Oh Lord, God our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? 
and and they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name saying if disaster comes upon us the sword judgment or pestilence or famine we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and you will save and now behold men are coming to you we're coming to you and our reward Reward us by coming and drive us toward your throne room and give us your inheritance. Oh, our Lord God, will you not execute judgment? For we are powerless against this great horde that comes against us. We are powerless against this suffering. We are powerless against this attack. We do not know what to do. But, oh, Lord, our eyes, our eyes are upon you. And it's in your great name that we pray. Christ's name. Amen. To every foster family, to every adopted family, to every family in the process, know that we love you and we're daily praying for you. And know that suffering, that hardship will come. Oh, but beloved, persevere. Stand steadfast. Cast all your anxieties on Jesus the Christ because he cares intimately and passionately for you. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.